This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Good evening. I'm Bob Brunner. Welcome to Legislature Today from Charleston. There's been a lot of activity today for the Dr. Martin Luther King annual holiday celebration, and Randy Yowie will have that report for us in just a little while. But first, the state Senate wasted little time getting to work this year, passing 25 bills in the first two days of the session. Republicans hold a supermajority. Despite the early start in the Senate, there is still much work to be done, including improvements to the state's educational system, departmental restructuring, and promised tax cuts. Reporter Chris Schultz sits down now with Senate President Craig Blair to discuss his plans to achieve all that and more. Craig Blair is the senior senator from Berkeley and is currently serving his third year as Senate President. He joins me now on the legislature today. Senator, thank you so much for being here with me. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. So, sir, you came into this session letting everyone know that you wanted to get straight to work. And I'd like to talk about what work exactly you want to achieve this year. But first, I want to ask you if you could explain to us why the Senate started out by suspending its own rules and passing 25 bills last week. Well, that's nothing new. Okay, we did it the previous year and the year before that. Uh, I've got a, I use this example. I'm a plumber. Say your water heater goes bad in your home. And then I come to fix it, and at 5 o'clock, I'm not done the job. And I say, okay, didn't get it done. I'll be back tomorrow. And you come in, and the same process repeats again. Nothing, your water heater never gets fixed. It's the same dynamic. Why did we do this? The bills that we passed out, uh, the vast majority, all passed by near unanimous, uh, if not unanimous, last year. There was minority bills in there. Of that, that had passed last year. I don't care if we had unfinished business, I want to get it back into the pipeline, I want to get it back to the House of Delegates so that they can consider them. And then if the House of Delegates, I would hope that they do the same thing with us. That way there's not a log jam at the end of the session of things that didn't get done. Get, get proactive, get after it early. And uh, if the House would do the same thing, good. Then we'll take those bills up immediately and have unless we have a disagreement with the bill uh, that but you know those those bills are important to people and so especially the, then i added more uh dhhr pia which pia uh that the reimbursement on that of uh, that that was from last year where we had passed it out and the house didn't take it up but it's proven that it needed to be done 
good news is, is the governor put the money in his budget for the reimbursement rate to be right on that $40 million. Well, you brought up a lot of the things that I want to talk to you about. But before we move on from this topic, one of the things that I'm curious about is that you have nine new members in your uh, chamber this year. That's almost a quarter, actually just a little bit more than a quarter of your uh, sitting senators. How is How does it work for them to, to vote on this legislation that they had nothing to do with last year? Oh, my golly. Uh, first of all, some of them were House members uh, on, on that count, and then we bring them up to speed. See, what we do is we've been caucusing. Ever since the election is finished, our members have been brought up to speed on a lot of the different issues, made aware of what's going on, and some of these aren't complicated issues. Some of the bills were only like a page or two long uh, on that. And But then we caucus every morning at 7.30 here. They come in. And we get together and we have the attorneys come in. We have different people before our caucus getting them up to speed on what's going on. And in the minority, there were no new members on that. And if one of the new members had a concern about a bill, I would actually pull it back. We started out with way more uh, than 23. We backed the, those numbers got back down. Uh, but this is, the, the caucus wants to be proactive. We understand that we're in the business of making the lives better for the people of West Virginia. And uh, just sitting and waiting, and, and, and I'm about transparency. This is why our committee rooms have cameras in them. This is why we do all the things that we do. We, I wanna be transparent, but I'm not gonna be ridiculous and not get the work done for the people of West Virginia. So we, we push forward. So as you said, you know, the, the watchword has been so far from your office, get to work, right? Watch phrase, I guess. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? What exactly is it that you want to achieve this session? Well, t t look, t two years ago, yeah, when I was first become elected Senate president, I said that my number one priority was to have 400,000 people move to the state of West Virginia. We need that. We need the population growth. It stimulates the economy all in itself. And we've been working towards that. And guess what? The beautiful part is more people have moved to our state in the last year than what has moved out, but our population still declined. Why? Because we have more people passing than are being born. That's because we've got our, our younger people do have a tendency of leaving the state for gainful employment. So we change that dynamic. We get ready and change our tort laws, our tax laws, our education, make all of it so that it works to be able to attract business. When you attract business, then the 400,000 people are right under our nose. It's our youth. It's our, the people, the children, I call them feedstock, I shouldn't, but they are, of, we're graduating them from our universities, we're graduating them from our community technical colleges, we're graduating them from our high schools. And if we provide gainful employment to these, our youth, they won't go anywhere. Then, they love the state to begin with, they fall in love, they fall in love with a mate, and then they make children, they have children. And that feeds into the education system, and that makes it so that you can actually have more businesses come to this state. It's a recurring event that actually is about growing a state rather than surviving or declining. In our state, we all have to admit that for decades, it's been in a decline. And that is unacceptable. And that's the legislative mindset that we've got here, whether it's the governor, whether it's the House, whether it's the Senate. 
And I'll have to say that it's become so contagious that state employees, everybody's getting in on the act. And you can see it by the economic development investment that is taking place on this state, in this state. So a couple things there that I think uh, I would maybe consider to be cornerstones of your project to keep people in West Virginia and expand our population education and uh, you know quality jobs. Uh, two things I'd like to point out to you, you know, as you already know, our college going rate is the lowest in the country. You mentioned that you know graduating students and making sure that they're well educated so that they can fill in these jobs that you are bringing into the state. What are we going to see from the Senate this year to help bridge that gap between the low college going rate and the high quality jobs that are coming into the state? Okay, first of all, let's get something straight on this here. We, we, the education is not that bad, okay? To, on paper, it looks worse than, but our best and brightest leave the state mm -hmm. for the gainful employment, okay? Brad Smith just came back to the state as the president of Marshall University, who did very well with the West Virginia education, okay? What we want to do is make it so that we have more of that dynamic in the state of West Virginia. But then you have people like me. Look, I'm a master electrician, a master plumber, a refrigeration engineer, certified water specialist. There's a whole host of things that I've done I'm good at. I don't have one degree, not one. Mm -hmm. There should be associate degrees for everything that I just named. That is one of the things that we're gonna to attempt to do this year in our education system, because we don't look good on paper. But we are good when it comes to having people that are ready to go to work and in the, our mining industry specifically. We have some of the best and brightest people there is out here that does a dirty job. And I'm not afraid of getting my hands dirty. Another reason why you start your work day at 7.30 in the morning and then you get productive. Okay, and that's what our miners do. That's what the people do in the fossil fuel industry. But we got to have the manufacturing also. Those are value-added products, and that's where true wealth comes from. This, and I'm all about manufacturing. I, I, I think that, that that is the savior for our state at this point in time. But a generation from now, then you're getting into the tech. Of, and we're preparing for that. We're going to invest in, into our first and second and third grades by having teacher's assistants that, uh, and I'm not using the right word, forgive me, uh, but it's gonna be able to make it so that we can double down on making sure that our students, by the time they leave the third grade level, are do doing, able to read. And if you can read, you can learn anything at all. And whether you're in class or whether you're not, the internet is, I still read and learn every day. And learning is a lifelong experience. And that's another thing that we need to embed and our people, our youth especially, never quit learning. And that will lift our state. So sticking with education, but perhaps maybe the other side of the classroom, um, I was just listening to the House Education Committee, and this is something that we also heard with PEIA, is that um, you know West Virginia, as Governor Justice loves to remind us, is at the center of a, a pretty well-populated area of the country. There's a lot of competition on our borders especially for teachers, nurses, and those kind of central tenant jobs uh, in a lot of these communities. Um, what are we doing or what are we gonna see the Senate do this year to address uh, the competitiveness of a lot of these positions? That's great. The, the competitiveness is a great thing. Here's where we're not competitive. 
We haven't been competitive with businesses in the state of West Virginia, locating in the state. If you want to have a tax base that you can afford to pay your teachers and your state employees and your school service personnel, you've got to have jobs and you've got to have job retainment. That has not taken place for decades since I was in school. So you spiral down. We are changing that whole dynamic for the state of West Virginia to where it's going to make us competitive. And if, and if you don't believe what I've just said, you can actually imagine going aerial and flying over an airplane and looking down at West Virginia and, and compare our borders with Ohio, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Virginia, Maryland, and you can see the difference in the opportunity right across the border. Now, Unleashing Capitalism was a book that was written in 2007 by uh, Professor Russ Sobel, and it had on the front of it pictures of that, and that is the dynamic that we're trying to change. This is why you see Nucor coming now to West Virginia in Mason County. You're seeing it in other areas too. We're recovering, but we gotta be able to be exponential on this. You can't allow it to slow down. You need to be able to <clears throat> convey, not just to our own people, but to America, that West Virginia is the best place to work, live, raise a family, and get educated. Well, I certainly look forward to, to seeing all that come out of the Senate, and hopefully as- but Don't seem so pessimistic. I'm hopeful, I said I was hopeful, sir. Okay, well, the, 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 <laughs> in your, the way your voice sounded, was it was pessimistic. No, you should be upbeat like the rest of us because it, the, the dynamic has changed. Well, Senator Blair, I will tell you that I am not from West Virginia originally. I am one of those people that moved here in the last four years. So, you know, I'm, I'm very optimistic about this state. Um, and, and to that end, you know, it's no secret that your party wants to cut taxes for West Virginians, right? This has been a, a tenant of the Republican Party's platform for several years. But over the last several months, the legislature and the governor have been at odds on how to achieve that. Um, you've had a look at the governor's budget proposal for this year. Do you think you're any closer to a path forward on tax cuts? Well, it's always great to be able to have the discussion and the resources to be able to have the debate on how to cut the taxes of, and be able to manage it. And remember that when we cut taxes, what we're looking, looking for is economic growth. We want to be able to put more higher wages, a better standard of living in the people's pockets that live here in West Virginia. By the way, thank you for being here. I hope you don't leave. I hope you stay here and have a family and do no all plans. the great things. I have no plans on leaving, in, sir. In West Virginia. It's a wonderful place, and you'll, you'll get agree. to see that even though I give you the dickens for not being optimistic. But I, now I get it. Uh, but it, it'll work. Now, when it comes to the tax reductions, we still got to be able to sift through what's going on because we're not going to be Kansas. If we do the tax reductions, we want to make sure that we do it in such a way that it has economic impact, that it pays dividends in the future, not just for the people that are receiving the tax cuts or the businesses that are receiving the tax breaks, but for the state of West Virginia, so that we can reinvest and reinvent ourselves into the future. That is the first and foremost priority. That's why I was a big fan of Amendment 2. Now, I'm also a big fan of eliminating 50% of the personal income tax. You eliminate 50% of the personal income tax, and it has basically the same effect as what getting rid of the personal property tax does. But there are other things that we need to do also to bring us in line 
and I don't know where, it, 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 that's an hour conversation on being able to get all that. But it's a holistic approach. You don't do any one thing in a silo. You gotta be able to get the education up to snuff. You need to be able to get our taxes in place. You need to be able to have our tort laws, our, our infrastructures. All those things need to be in place. And then you need to be able to have people ready to go to work. So we're doing all those things trying to get ourselves in line. I'm not going to clue, tip off right now because it's early in the session on where we're going to be on the, the tax alignment because the governor during his state of the state, and I implore you to get ready and go do the math because I think he spent about $7 billion and he only has $6 million in revenues. Right. That's $6 billion. Excuse me, $7 billion in spending Six billion in revenues. I think I said that wrong. We got to be able to not be canned. I am not going to put in the future legislature or ourselves to where we cut taxes to the point that we cannot manage our government in an effective way to be able to grow, not our government, but to grow our future, to make it so that businesses and the infrastructure and all the things that are necessary for people to want to stay here, work, live, and raise a family. I'm not going to sacrifice any of that by being hopeful uh, for, for something. And, 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 gee, I'm probably one of the most hopeful people there is here. Well, Senator, your passion has certainly come through uh, while we've been talking here. And just briefly for our listeners that are not familiar with the story of Kansas, um, about, what was it, 15, 20 years ago, Kansas fully eliminated its personal income tax, led to a fiscal crisis. Now, some of these people that are hearing this number, 50% being thrown around, obviously it's going to be incremental, but I mean, some of the numbers that I've been seeing, you know, as much as a quarter of the state's revenue comes from personal income that would be removed by this cut. Don't quote me on the numbers because I'm not 100% sure, you know, I don't have them in front of me, but we have a little bit of time left here. I would be curious to know, I appreciate that you don't want to show your hand this early in the session, but what are some of those things that you're talking about that need to be put in place? Besides what you've already mentioned, education towards uh, uh, fiscally, what are some of those things that would help us create this cut in a reasonable manner and not become the next Kansas? Well, see, now you don't always have to cut. Uh, sometimes you can grow uh, and manage it that way. But here's where the problem comes in, in severance tax. And what's going on over in Eastern Europe and Europe in general, for that matter, uh, right now, we're collecting a significant amount of extra tax coming in from the severance tax. And, and that's all great, except for if things settle down in Eastern Europe, then that will diminish very, very quickly. Now, we've, your corporate net, we've reduced the corporate net tax, but it's bringing in three times the amount that what it has in the past. Why? Because businesses are profitable, again, in the state of West Virginia, and that's what we want. We want everybody to be profitable. When it comes to the personal income tax, wages are up, to, and job opportunities are up in this state, and that will probably continue into the future. Wage deflation is a rarity. You don't see that a whole lot in the history uh, of our country or our state. Uh, and then the consumption tax, the sales tax. That's another one that is up. But if you're in, in, a, in an inflationary environment and the people don't have the money in their pocket, that one can go down. So, you got all these things working and a lot of moving parts to this engine to be able to get it right. So you wanna be in taxing stuff 
normally diminishes that behavior. So you gotta watch that you don't overtax uh, on things. In fact, it's better to undertax, and the governor was right on one thing. If you cut 50% on of the personal income tax or the personal property tax, either one, you're putting 500, 600, a billion dollars back into the people's pockets. And if you do that, you're putting it into the economy. They will use that money. They will invest that money. And if you're putting it into the wealthy people's pockets, they invest in greater job opportunities. If you put it into the working poor's pocket, it raises their standard of living. Both work, though. The, the wealthy person reinvesting it helps lift the man that's on the bottom or that's entering the workforce. And by the way, I've been there. I've been on all that. Well, I've not been on the wealthy side. Uh, people think because you've got a suit and all that you're wealthy. Nope, not at all. But it's, it's how the machine works in, in this country. And trying to reinvent the machine is a failed policy adapting to how it works and understanding how it works and then making it so it works for our people, all our people. That is how you rebuild a state. Well, Senator, we've uh, reached our, the end of our time together. I want to thank you again so much for coming on the show and explaining uh, some of the complexities to us. I look forward to seeing a lot of what you've discussed come through as legislature. I certainly hope that the uh, House helps you out and does their part, as well as uh, Governor Justice. But once again, uh, I, re I recognize that you're a very passionate man, and I want to thank you for directing that passion towards the state. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, Chris and Senator. Unity was the theme for today's state capitol celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life and legacy. As Randy Yoey shows us, the human rights issues Dr. King fought for decades ago persevere to this day. A symbolic march from a downtown Charleston church to the Capitol steps traditionally begins West Virginia's Martin Luther King Day ceremony. Fitting for the theme, there was unity among the diverse crowd. The Capitol High School VIP Choir's rendition of the song Unity set a melodic and insightful tone. Among the crowd was nationally recognized journalist, author, women's rights activist, and Muslim Asra Namani. Born in India, she was raised and educated in West Virginia. In 2003, Namani was the first woman in her Morgantown, West Virginia mosque to pray in the male-only main hall. It was another groundbreaking, precedent-setting action. Namani says continuing Dr. King's crusade for race, religion, creed, and gender rights for human rights is vital for everyday life to move forward. It begins with all of us. Social justice and human rights is for all of us, whatever I, our identity. Dr. Martin Luther King was so clear that we can have no hierarchy of human value, and that is exactly how we must live in the 21st century. Young people, like West Virginia State students Diori Robinson and John Fitzpatrick say they stand firm with helping to champion Dr. King and Astra Namani's human rights campaign. I think it's extremely important. Everyone needs their human rights. Everyone in the world matters, no matter what race you are, ethnicity, anything like that. I think it's very important that we continue the human rights message. I think sometimes we forget about that. 
And a lot of times we just look at it like a lot of people think that Martin Luther King was only fighting for colored people, but really he was fighting for, like you said, all human rights for everybody who needs the rights fight, fight it for. So I think that we should still continue to be fighting for these rights every single day. I think that it's a never ending issue. We're going to have to always fight for these rights. So I believe we should always keep fighting. Yeah, what's so important is that we remember that there's humanity in everyone. And it's so critical to understand that we don't have to be in conflict with others, right? And so if we can just understand and appreciate the humanity in each other. Another MLK Day State Capitol tradition, the Freedom Bell Ring. This year with anti-racism and transgender among human rights issues facing West Virginians, that bell rings with passion and purpose. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. Thanks, Randy, and thank you for joining us on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day holiday. Tune in to the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, WV Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.com. Org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and the Senate on the West Virginia Channel, and we stream those on YouTube. I'm Bob Brunner. For everyone here at WVPB, thanks for joining us, and have a great night. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at Hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at Segra.com.